I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello once again, my friend, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. This monthly show where we break down what's streaming in movies, in television, in music, what you should be checking out, what you shouldn't be wasting your time on. Usually we, we try to keep it a little more a little more positive here. It's not about like just dumping on a bunch of stuff. Usually, you know, I watch a lot of things and I watch a lot more than I tell you about. And some of the things that I think are kind of shitty, I don't even bring them up on the show because it's, it's not worth the time, right? We don't have the time to talk about garbage. So I'll, I'll usually just tell you about the things that are really good. So if you feel like on this show, hey, man, it's just like positive reviews of everything, then that's usually only because I'm telling you about the things that I liked because I don't want to waste your time telling you about things you, you shouldn't watch. So that's what we do here on the Stream Police Podcast. I'm Clint Davis. I talk about movies and TV here on the program. We'll be hearing from Andy Sedlak in just a little bit who talks about music here on the show and will continue to add to his never-ending greatest playlist that is available on Spotify right now. If you search Stream Police Podcast on Spotify, then you should get the five songs playlist right there that you can follow along with and listen to and see all the new songs that are added each month to that uh, that fantastic uh, list of tunes that Andy's got kind of going on there. There's no theme to it. I mean, if you like a true shuffle mode, you can throw that thing on and you'll be fine, but uh, it's just it's just good music. Later on in the show, I'll be giving you two picks from Netflix and two picks from Amazon, as I do in every program. But for now, I'm sitting in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. And what I like to do at the beginning of every show is light up my stogie. It's my time to sit with you here in the closet, fill it with smoke to the brim, and talk to you about movies and TV. I enjoy it. It's like a little vacation for me, you know? That's why we do this show. We don't make a, we've never made a, a, a thin dime off this program. We just do it because we like to, and hopefully you guys enjoy listening. All right, here we go. Ah. Sometimes you just got to relax with a good stogie. That's all you have to do in your closet. I recommend it uh, completely. Now, if there are, are uh, fire inspectors listening to this show, then just ignore everything that you've heard up until now. So anyway, this is episode 59 of the Stream Police podcast for September 2018. And I'm going to start the show as I always do by adding yet another selection into our canon of greatest TV show theme songs of all time. 
And we're going to go back pretty far for this one. Uh, we've done a couple of shows older, but this is definitely one of the older shows that we've done on the greatest TV show theme songs list. It's number 32 in our canon. And to introduce this, let me set the scene for you. So on a September night in 1966, people across the country sat down in front of the tube, flipped on CBS, and watched the premiere of the latest show to be produced by Lucille Ball's powerhouse Desi Lou Productions. Lucille Ball was obviously, you know, one of the great comic actors that we've ever had in American television, but she was also brilliant in business. If you don't know anything about her and about Desi Lou, um, I mean, she could kind of see a hit coming, and she was one of the she was one of the first people to realize how valuable it was to keep tapes of the shows that you did. Back in the back in the old days, like in the fifties in television, you know, networks would record their shows and then they would just like tape over them or they would get rid of the, the video because they just thought, you know, why keep this around? This is just garbage. TV was thought of as as just kind of a throwaway thing. It wasn't like film. It wasn't something you stored in a canister, put away in a in an archive, you know, a temperature controlled archive and took care of. So that's why there's so many old shows that are lost. And even the honeymooners, some of the old like older episodes of that show, they're lost or they're in terrible condition if you find them somewhere. But every episode of I Love Lucy looks gorgeous because she knew that you had to preserve this stuff. And she made a fortune off of later selling the rights to re-air episodes, which a lot of other networks were like, well, we can't re-air this stuff and we can't syndicate it because we don't have any record of it and the stuff we do have is in terrible shape. So anyway, like I said, Lucille Ball, a genius. So her, she and Desi Arnaz's company, Desi Lou Productions, financed this show that in September 1966 premiered on CBS. And this show is has arguably had a longer legacy than Lucy's own show, I Love Lucy. I would I would probably say this show's had an even longer legacy. That was the night that the first episode of Mission Impossible kicked off. So Mission Impossible followed a group of American secret agents known as the IMF, or the Impossible Missions Force, as they took on and completed an impossible mission each week, which they obviously proved the missions were not impossible because they did end up. I would have, Mission Difficult probably would have been better, but it does, doesn't sound quite as good. So anyway, for seven seasons and 171 episodes, the show thrilled viewers, and it made stars of some iconic actors, including Peter Graves, who uh, led the show for most of its entire run. Martin Landau was a big figure in the show. Leonard Nimoy, who was a star of the show for a few seasons. And even Sam Elliott, who I did not realize kind of got his break in Mission Impossible with a regular role there. The cast members changed over the years, but one constant was the show's intense theme song and opening credits. I mean, as far as like spy themes go, I would put this great. I would say that this this song is better than the James Bond theme. I think that this it's just more intense. It's got more going on, and it's just cool, man. And it's catchy. And how can it not thrill you? How can it not make you want to stare at the TV and and you know ease in for a night of viewing? It's just got it all, man. And the theme for Mission Impossible was written by Argentine composer Lalo Schifrin. And Lalo Schifrin had this incredible career in the 60s and 70s and actually is still alive today. 
So in addition to doing the music for Mission Impossible, he wrote the scores for dozens of movies. He wrote the score for Cool Hand Luke, uh, for Bullet, for Dirty Harry. So as you can see, like some of the coolest movies of the 60s and 70s. And Schifrin was also a gifted jazz composer, bossa nova composer and performer. He won five Grammys in his career. He won an Emmy. He never won an Oscar, though, despite being nominated six times for his film composition work. But the Academy is giving him a long overdue honorary Oscar later this year. So that's the guy behind this song. All right, now music nerds out there who are listening to this will notice that the Mission Impossible theme song is in 5-4 time. So obviously really weird time signature. And when he was asked why he wrote it in that strange meter, Schifrin reportedly said that um, songs are written 2-4 or 4-4 most often because people dance on two legs. So he said that he wrote the Mission Impossible theme in 5-4 for all the people in outer space who have five legs. So, all right then, that tells you what kind of guy this guy is. The legacy of Schifrin's theme song lives on, and obviously the legacy of Mission Impossible lives on and will continue to live on for years now. The show itself wrapped its run on CBS in 1973 after seven seasons. It was revived later in 1988 on ABC for a couple seasons before Paramount got it and made the first Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise in 1996. And since then, you know, there have been six movies in the franchise from 96 to 2018, um, with this year's Mission Impossible Fallout being hailed as maybe the best of the entire series and one of the highest grossing of the entire series. So the Mission Impossible franchise is showing no signs of slowing down. That song still starts every one of the films and will continue to start every one of the films. So it's just, uh, I, like I said, I think the legacy of Mission Impossible actually may have longer legs than the legacy of I Love Lucy did as far as the Desi Lou production goes. Mission Impossible might be you know, the uh, the, the longer-lasting uh, show. I mean, not taking anything away from Lucy, the, the, uh, from I Love Lucy, I should say, but uh, Mission Impossible just has long, long legs and will continue to probably outlive us all, honestly. So every one of those movies, like I said, starts with this song. Every episode of the show started with this song, and that's why it's my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. <laughs> Mission Impossible theme, Lalo Schifrin, 1966. Legendary, man. Like I said, if you heard that come on, that song, I think that theme songs back in the 60s and shows that started, that kicked off in the 60s, had some really great instrumental theme songs like that were done with orchestras um, or huge bands. You know, I mean, you think about the theme songs for shows like, um, you know, Rawhide and even Bonanza, th th those songs are so epic. And it's just hard to, like, imagining those coming out of these TVs that were primitive televisions with really bad speakers in them. Um, it just doesn't do justice for, you know, listening to them in uh, in, in surround sound like we do now. Um, but I have to imagine, even back then, hearing them on these little crappy speakers, like, it just had to blow you away and make you, you know, tune in and and look at the look at the show. I mean, the, the theme, the television theme song. There's no question that it is completely devalued these days. When everyone, when you can just skip them, 
you know, and Netflix actually encourages you to skip them. Even when a show has like a great opening, they just want you to skip them because they they worry. I don't know your attention spans too short. If you have to sit through a forty five second song, you're gonna not lose interest and not want to watch the show, which is the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. So you know, I hope that kids now who watch TV are still hearing theme songs and realizing you know how how big a cornerstone of TV history these things are. So that's kind of one of the reasons why every month here on the show I give you a new entry into that canon of greatest TV show theme songs of all time. We've covered a lot in the 32 entries and there you go. Mission Impossible, the latest to join the club. Congratulations, Lalo. I don't know, maybe it's Lalo. I but I I'm assuming it's Lalo. I've always read it as Lalo Schifrin. And now that you know my son was born um a couple months ago, I I'm kind of bummed now that we named him Emerson, we didn't name him Lalo. If I would have you know really known that name before then, I think probably I would have tried to steer Beth that way. Lalo Davis. I think that would have been a fitting tribute to him. All right. So anyway, it's uh, it's fall TV season. It's a se- it's a season that I look forward to every year. Every year here on the Stream Police for the past few since God, how long we've we been doing the show? Twenty fifteen. I've given you my fall TV preview, and that's usually where in episodes past I've picked ten shows that are starting this fall. Um, that I think you're going to want to watch. And I'm going to do the same thing this year, but I'm going to break it up. I'm going to give you five that are premiering in September, and I'm going to give you five that are premiering in October next month. So that's how we're going to do this, because there are a lot of good shows that are going to debut in October and actually November too. Um, Not everything is debuting in September that I think looks really good. In fact, I think really September, I struggled to come up with five shows that are brand new that I thought looked really good. I, usually I don't have a problem with that, but this year I struggled with it. I had, I had a hard time coming up with five that I thought looked really strong and really interested me. But I'm going to give you the five that I do think look the best of the whole crop of cable, premium, streaming, and network television starting this fall. Five shows to check out, five that I'll be checking out. So first off... We've got a show on NBC that makes its debut on September 24th. I've been intrigued ever since I saw the first preview for it, and that is Manifest. So Manifest is this show that kind of looks like it's trying to fill the void that has been on television since Lost went off the air so many years ago. I mean, Lost has been off the air for a while now, folks. But there still has never been a show that has really filled that void um, of being like a sci-fi drama that isn't really for sci-fi nerds, right? I mean, The X-Files is one of my favorite shows ever, but it's a show that, I mean, really it is kind of for sci-fi nerds because if people get turned off by aliens and monsters, then they're not going to really dig The X-Files too much. But, you know, what a show like Lost did was it was such a sci-fi odyssey, but it did it in a way that even if you didn't like sci-fi at all, you got lulled in by the characters, and then you kind of went along with, well, the smoke monster stuff is really weird, whatever, I kind of lose interest there. Not me, but, you know, somebody might say that. But they could watch the show and still enjoy it, because it was really more just about kind of human interaction and... um the mystery that kept, you know, getting deeper and deeper of what's going on here. Why are they on this island? What is this island? Is it real? What's happening? So I think TV's been missing that ever since. There have been, you know, a a few shows that have tried to fill the void. Flash Forward is the one I most often think of. I think it was from, like, one of the producers of Lost, and ABC was touting it as that, like, it's the next Lost, and it ended up being canceled. I watched it. It got canceled, though, because I think it was just too weird, and, and it was too singular, like, it was all about this event that happened, and, you know, that was all, basically the whole mystery of the show was what happened? What was this event that made people see the future? So, 
Manifest may fall into that same trap. I'm not sure, but I got to say it does look intriguing. And as far as network shows this fall go, it's right at the top of my list. So if you haven't seen the previews, Manifest is about this group of passengers who took off on a flight. Um, and to them, it was a normal flight, right? They took off, they landed. But to everyone on Earth, the flight went missing. And it was this big news story. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, five years after it took off, it lands. And everyone kind of like looks the same. The plane is, you know, hasn't landed at all. You know, it's just been like in the air for five years. Like what the hell happened? So and these people have no idea that they've just missed five years of time while they were on this plane. So it's a really bizarre premise. And I don't know how shows like this I always feel like would be better served as miniseries because I just don't know how like what kind of, it seems like such a singular event story where can you go for 5 6 seasons with a, with an idea like that i mean that was what made lost so brilliant it wasn't like at first you thought it was going to be like well how are they going to get off this island but they didn't need to get off the island and the, the mystery ended up becoming about what is this island what is this place how are there other people here um you know what's going on so it wasn't it ended up not just being about the island but this kind of seems like it's going to be just about what happened to this plane? So I don't know. It, it looks like a solid mystery. It looks interesting. Um, it's on network TV. So, of course, the production values will be high, I'm expecting. And, uh, you know, NBC's produced some pretty solid shows here in, in recent years. And I think they've been taking some chances ever since they, you know, got a real big hit show in This Is Us. I feel like they've they've kind of embraced a few of these other kind of weird shows. They did Timeless a couple years ago that got canceled twice bizarrely uh but that was a really kind of weird high concept show and now here they're trying it again with manifest so we'll see what happens i don't know um if it'll end up going anywhere but the show premieres on september 24th on nbc and i'll be checking it out because like i said i think we need another kind of lost weird show that's on network tv that everyone can kind of get into and get lost in no pun intended while they watch it so that one is right at the top of my list of shows premiering this fall exactly is the problem? The problem, ladies and gentlemen, is we've all been missing, presumed dead for five and a half years. All right, so continuing my fall TV preview of five September premieres that I'll be checking out. This one I'm probably the most intrigued in, actually. it's The, sh the show is called Kidding, and it's on Showtime. And the uh, premiere date was actually September 9th, so it's already come to pass by the time you're listening to this. But... Um, I'm still going to obviously, you know, include it. I have a couple others that have already passed as well, but you know, to me that that doesn't matter because today in, in TV, obviously you're not, you don't have to be glued to the television at the time that the show airs. Everyone knows that. So anyway, this show kicked off on September 9th. It's called kidding. And it stars Jim Carrey in his first TV work since he did in living color all those years ago. And it just looks like a, a really interesting show. And especially for a guy who's that larger than life, to go into television when he hasn't yet um, says that, you know, the writing of the, of this show had something that spoke to him. So what the show is about is it's about this guy who's basically like Mr. Rogers. Jim Carrey plays this guy who's kind of like Mr. Rogers. He's a children's television show host, like a beloved, he hosts a beloved children's television show. And I guess his personal life starts falling apart. His relationship with his marriage starts falling apart 
off, you know, behind the scenes. And he's trying to keep it together on the show and maintain this sunny disposition in front of everyone that's watching. So it's an interesting looking show, like a, a mature look at, at hopefully at entertainment. It takes a serious look at, you know, making television and being a personality and kind of what goes into that. The psychology behind that is kind of fascinating of being a performer. Um, and I'll be really interested to see where this goes. It's got a really strong cast. Like I said, Jim Carrey's in it. Uh, Catherine Keener is in it. And I mean, she's absolutely one of the best actors that we've ever had. Every Catherine Keener, everything I've ever seen her in, I've loved her in and everything she's in is usually good. Like she really is one of those people that one of those few people that lends credibility to something when she's in it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like she's really done bad movies ever. Like, when she's in a movie, it pretty much tells you it's going to be a good movie because she has great selection of scripts. So she just does good work. And so that makes me really look forward to watching this show because Catherine Keener thought that it was good enough for her to lend her time to. And obviously, lending your time to a TV series is a lot more work than lending your time to a film. So uh, Kidding debuted September 9th on Showtime. I'll be interested to check it out. I do not have... Um, a Showtime um, subscription right now. So I'll be maybe seeing if it's going to be worth it just to watch that show to see what's going on. But they have a couple other ones. They've really stepped up in recent years. You know, like I, I told you last month that Beth and I have been watching The Affair and we're all caught up now to where the new season is. So we've got to, uh, you know, get Showtime to watch that. Obviously, they did the Twin Peaks reboot um, last year. They did, uh, they have the show on there called Smilf that I've been wanting to watch as well. So some interesting stuff on Showtime. I think they've really stepped their game up in trying to compete with HBO in recent years. But anyway, Kidding, starring Jim Carrey, uh, kicked off on September 9th on Showtime. Uh, the third show I'm going to be checking out this fall on my list is Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. I've been looking forward to this one for more than a year since they announced it. And it is actually already all out. The whole season's out. It, it went live on uh, August 31st on Amazon Prime. And the whole season is there for you to binge. So I think it's eight episodes. And if you never watched any of the Jack Ryan movies or read it, I never read any of the Tom Clancy Jack Ryan books. But I watched all the movies. I, actually, I didn't see the um, I didn't see the Ben Affleck movie, Some of All Fears. But I saw all the other Jack Ryan movies, and I really loved them. I think he he's a great character. Um, it's a it's a really unique take on a guy who's like a badass. Uh, you know, working for the U.S. government. He's not like the, I'm going to go in and I'm going to mow down all the bad guys. I'm going to get my machine gun. I'm going to get in and out without getting hurt. I'm going to drive a car 100 miles per hour the wrong way through traffic. You know, it's nothing really like that. He's like a big nerd. You know, Jack Ryan basically is a big nerd. Um, and John Krasinski's playing him in the show. And people have, you know, kind of compared online Jim playing an action star what's going on and and Krasinski's done this a little bit more in recent years he's taken on some action work and he's kind of you know gotten like ripped and he's 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 really become this guy who is a, a even a more versatile actor than he was when he was on the office but to me Jim and Jack Ryan are not that really different i mean they they're both smart guys obviously Jack Ryan works in a much more intense place he works for the CIA rather than a paper company but Jack Ryan is a desk guy he sits behind a desk and does analysis you know, he's an analyst. He's not a field operative. He's not an agent. So he but he kind of, you know, ends up having to become one because of different circumstances. That's how it always is in the movies anyway. And he embraces it and he's great at it and, uh, you know, finds that he's kind of a natural. So it's a cool character who kind of reluctantly becomes a big badass when he doesn't really go seeking that out. Like I said, he's really a nerd 
at the end of the day. So I'll be interested to see where Amazon's show takes him. The production values look really good for this. Um, Wendell Pierce is also in it. And you gotta love Wendell Pierce, you know, if you're a fan of The Wire, and you know I am. Um, he was Bunk Moreland in The Wire, and he's he's in it, you know, co-starring with Krasinski. So it's 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 a good little cast there, and like I said, production values look high. Amazon, I think, was probably a good place for this to roll out, and uh, hopefully, it'll be a big hit for them, and they'll continue uh, going on with it. But Jack Ryan right now is out. All eight episodes of it are available for you to watch on Amazon Prime. I'll be letting you know in future episodes what I thought about that series. So that kicked off on August 31st. Check it out right now on Amazon. What does the CIA want with me? Who said anything about the CIA? Do you do this often? Kidnapping innocent people of the street and interrogate them? You're my first one, actually. I'm an analyst. How am I doing? All right, number four on my five September premieres that I'll be checking out this fall is The Purge on the USA Network. This is a mini-series television version of the the film series that's been one of the most vital film series in horror over the last few years. And I don't say that because the movies are great or anything. I've only seen the first one. I never saw any of the other movies. But they consistently do great at the box office. Um, there's There have been a ton of sequels. They've kind of been timely also, they've kind of tried to tie in like current events into those movies. So, The Purge has been this really interesting like box office phenomena of the of the last few years. So, they ended up turning it into a TV series, and it, like I said, it's just a mini series. It's a ten episode thing, so it's not. Don't expect it to just go on and on and on and have a bunch of cliffhangers and everything. Uh, but the first episode kicked off on September fourth on USA Network, and I'll be checking this one out because I feel like honestly, The Purge might be something that could work better as a television series than even as a movie because you could almost do it in real time. Because if you don't know the the um, premise behind the Purge movies, it takes place in this like near future. I don't know if it's dystopian. I don't. I don't think it's even dystopian. It's almost like utopian. Um, United States of America, where this new government has taken over, and crime and everything has gone drastically down and unemployment is way down and like everything in society is working out great because of this new system that they've enacted called the purge and it's a thing that happens one night every year it's called purge night and for 12 hours overnight one night every year all crime is legal so you can murder anybody that's kind of wrong to you if you you can get to them you're allowed to kill them and it's fine you can do anything you want every crime is legal you won't get in trouble for any of it so that's the idea of the purge it's like talk about you know this this story of people being allowed to embrace their horrible inner demons and do whatever they want to that this movie it, it was kind of it's kind of a brilliant premise you know and that was why i ended up checking out the first one but anyway, so I think it almost works better as a TV series because if you do it in, I would have done it probably in 12 episodes just so you could do it in real time. Every hour would be an hour, you know, of The Purge. So instead it's 10 episodes and it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, what they what they do with it and if they're able to make it still as edgy because I think, you know, The Purge movies are all rated R. They're horror films, so they are, you know, a little bit gory. They're a little bit rough-edged. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if the show is that way as well. It's on USA Network, so I have to imagine it probably will be. Um, but, yeah, I'll be checking this one out. I'm, I'm interested to see kind of where they go with it. I like horror television. I really am a sucker for it. I'm a sucker for horror in general. But on TV, I think it's it, it can be really good. Um, 
and less impact than sitting down to watch a two-hour horror movie. It's it's much feels better, I think, to sit down and watch a forty-five-minute episode of a horror show and watch that you know watch several of them. So you know, with the and with the popularity of American Horror Story, I'll be surprised if The Purge doesn't do good numbers for USA Network. I'm sure that's one of the reasons they took a big chance on uh, on rolling this out. So. The Purge, first episode aired on September 4th on USA. You can check it out right now. Okay, and finally, the fifth show premiering in September that I'm going to be checking out uh, this month is Mayans MC, which just debuted on FX Network on September 4th. I have to say, I never watched Sons of Anarchy. I've kind of gone back and forth several times. My mom loved it. I had a couple friends who really liked that show when it was on. And I would see commercials for it, and it looked really, you know, like hardcore and... Uh, Kurt Sutter is like one of these guys who's almost kind of like a mad genius, you know, just a little bit of a weirdo. I, a couple of years ago, I, I did give a chance to his show, The Bastard Executioner, and I did kind of like that show. It was a little boring. It ended up getting canceled, but I like the acting in it. I like the tone of it. So Kurt Sutter's a guy that I do like. I just never watched Sons of Anarchy. So this is a spinoff of that. Uh, Sons of Anarchy obviously ended a few years ago, and FX has been looking for a way to recapture the popularity of that show because they really haven't had a show that was as popular as Sons of Anarchy was. So they go back to Kurt Sutter, and now he's doing this show called Mayans MC, which is about a, a biker gang of like Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, uh, at near like the border of Mexico and, and the United States in Southern California, I believe. So it's kind of like down in the desert. And you got all these hard-ass dudes, um, Latino dudes, in this bicycle, motorcycle, uh, bicycle gang, motorcycle gang. If it was a bicycle gang, this show might be a little different, I think. But anyway, the Mayans are like this motorcycle gang, and it follows this guy who's a new recruit in, and he's trying to prove himself and and become a full fledged member of the Mayans. So you know, it's going to be the same kind of deal, I think, as as uh, as Sons of Anarchy. But I'm more intrigued in watching a group of guys who are not white guys, right, riding around on Harleys and shit. You know, I just something about that just never really interested me. Uh, A bunch of, I don't know, kind of like hillbilly white guys riding around pushing drugs and being badasses on motorcycles. But there's something that is really interesting to me about it. When you're talking about a group of people and a race that's been marginalized and these guys are reclaiming, you know, kind of their own um, image out here in the desert. And I I think it can be really cool. And, um, it's going to be, you know, again, I think it's going to be kind of one of these hardcore, like, edgy shows like Sons of Anarchy was. But the the previews do have me intrigued to watch it. So I think I'll be checking out Mayans, which, uh, like I said, kicked off on September 4th on FX. If you want to check that out, um, I believe it is streaming right now on FX as well. So those are my five shows that are premiering in fall, uh, or in September, I should say, for this fall. I, I wrestled with including Murphy Brown on CBS on here, but ultimately I just feel like reboots are just so lazy and this show is probably going to have a freaking laugh track because it's CBS and it's going to be all these like pause for laugh jokes about Trump and uh, you know I don't know I I just I don't know I can just see it being really bad we'll see because Murphy Brown was known back in the day for being a smart show and it was a show about journalism so I really do like that but I don't know I'm just not totally sold yet so I'll probably be checking out Murphy Brown as well just to see if it's worth a damn, but reboots just don't, they don't do it for me. I don't know. And I wasn't, I didn't watch the original show really. It was a little before my time. So I'm not, I don't have any like ties to it, but I'd like to give it a chance. I like Candace Bergen. I think, you know, she's, 
definitely a very strong actor, very talented. And it's cool that they got some, you know the original cast back, but I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see what's going to happen there. If you want to watch Murphy Brown, though, that does debut September 27th on CBS. All right, I'm going to toss things over to Mr. Sedlak. We'll see what he's got going on, and we'll see what five songs he adds to the playlist. I can't wait. I am a subscriber, and I love that thing. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you about something I watched on Netflix recently that just absolutely floored me, and also something I watched on BET recently that I really dug, and I think uh, you're going to like it as well. Without further ado, take it away, Mr. Sedlak. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you may be listening to this, we we appreciate it. Great to be with you. My name is Andy Sedlak, the music editor, commentator for the Stream Police podcast. So Eminem put out a new album. It is his 10th record called Kamikaze, and it came out uh, right at the end of August. I think I figured out the surprise album thing. A lot of people are doing it now. And I think it's to combat critics online. To combat critics online. If you've got a big release date plan, there are folks just waiting with sharpened knives. And unless it's a a one-listen knockout, don't forget that some albums have to grow on you. They have to grow on you. But unless it's undeniable right from, you know, the jump, people are underwhelmed and they begin posting and blogging and blah, blah, blahing all over the internet. But if you just drop it in their laps, (laughs) the conversation is, oh my God, Eminem put out a new album and not, we knew it was coming, it sucks. I can see where it would be preferred to uh, to everybody expecting it and then like having a hot take ready. Beware of the hot take in general. We don't offer up hot takes here, friends. We uh, give you well-reasoned analysis. Hot takes may be entertaining, but they're bullshit most of the time. This is a thinking man's show, and we we thank you for for listening. I'll be the first to tell you that uh, the Stream Police podcast doesn't have a huge following. I'd like to have more listeners. I think Clint would too. But our audience, the audience that we do have, 
all in. All in. You guys get it. And that's what makes this so much fun. So do us a favor. Tell a friend or a coworker about us. Go ahead and give us that five-star rating. Maybe even write up a quick review. That stuff goes a long way. We'd certainly be grateful. Eminem, Common Kazi, let's get into it. They're asking me what the fuck happened to hip hop. I said I don't have any answers because I took a nap when I dropped my last album. It hurt me like hell, but I'm back on these rappers. And actually, coming from humble beginnings, I'm somewhat uncomfortable winning. I wish I could say what a wonderful feeling. We're on the upswing like we're punching the ceiling, but nothing is feeling like anyone has any fucking ability to even stick to a subject. It's killing me. The inability to pin humility. Why don't we make a bunch of fucking songs about nothing and mumble and fuck it? I'm going for the juggle. shit is a circus. You clowns that are coming up. Don't give an ounce of a motherfucker about the ones who are here before you that made rap. Let's recap, wait back, and tease that. Recap on tape decks, eight dats for the G raps and came back. We need three stacks, ASAP, and bring that to the ace back. Cause tap these rappers have brain damage. M's got to be careful not to come off as, as a grouch. That's the criticism he opens himself up to nearly every time he puts out a new record, or at least the past few records. On this particular album, he goes after a lot of rappers. They're in his crosshairs. That works for me because I don't like the rappers he's going after either. Lil Yachty's one of them. I blow hot and cold on Drake, but he's another one. Eminem accuses uh, Drake of using a ghostwriter. I'm sure you've heard that rumor before. Here, take a listen. You got some views, but you're still below me, mine are higher. So when you compare our views, you get overlooked. And I don't say the hook unless I wrote the hook. He goes after trap music again. That works for me because I personally, Andy, finds trap music boring. I've talked about it on this show before. So it's easy to chalk this up to like an old man going after the kids. A rapper who's past his prime shaking his fist and saying it ain't what it used to be. But that is a lazy analysis. The fact of the matter is Eminem is going after the mainstream. It's what he's always done. And when he became mainstream, he went after himself too. Trap music is mainstream now. And it makes for an interesting target here because there's a philosophical difference between Eminem and trap artists. Musically, trap is spare. Eminem has always favored a lot of production. He works with Dre, for Christ's sake. Lyrically, trap music has a loose rhyme scheme. Eminem's rhymes are tight. They couldn't be tighter. He writes and writes and revises and revises. Trap music puts a high emphasis on feel, but Eminem needs you to listen first. You'll feel as you go. He does mix up his subjects. He's not, it's just not just straight attack, 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 attack. Apparently, he's not getting along any better with women. Normal explores that. Arguably the most interesting song on the album is called Stepping Stone. He writes it to the members of D12 and announces that the group has officially broken up. They haven't put out any they haven't put anything out in years. But this is the track that basically says it's over. And that members of D12 rarely talk. Cool, calm, it's like my mom with a couple of 
Purple Pills. That was a top 20 hit in 2001. Five years later, proof the rapper was shot and killed. More or less took D12 with him. He spends a lot of kamikaze reacting to the negative press that he got on the last album, and that kind of surprised me because I didn't remember a bunch of bad reviews. I went and looked at Metacritic, which tracks reviews, and it had a score of 50 out of 100, right down the middle. And I guess the the problem was his fans. He spent some time on the previous album, Revival, going after Trump. Problem was, a large number of Eminem fans are Trump supporters, and Trump supporters will take Trump over anyone, and they're vocal about it, so... That happened. He still goes after Trump on Kamikaze, but it's it's minimal. Cause Agent Orange just sent the Secret Service to meet in person to see if I really think of hurting him or ask if I'm linked to terrorists. Yeah, I've listened to this a lot. It's uh it's an album where you can do that, unlike like Kanye's new album, which I haven't listened to in months, <clears throat> not since it came out. This bears repeated listens. You get a little deeper each time. And if you like him, and then you'll like Kamikaze. If you're over him, Kamikaze won't do a thing for you. There are no pop stars on this one. Not too many featured artists. It's a straight hip-hop album. So know what you're getting yourself into. So y'all gotta move. Yeah, y'all gotta move. Yeah, y'all gotta move. Give me some room. Give me some room. Give me the juice. How about the coupe? How about the coupe? How about the shoot? Y'all gotta move. Y'all gotta move. Give me the juice. Switching gears. Aretha Franklin. died in mid-August, and even though I I said I was more or less done doing obituaries on this show, some things just need to be recognized. She was the most charted female artist in the history of the music business. She put 112, 112 singles on the Billboard chart, including 77 top 100 entries, 17 top 10 pop singles, and 100 R&B entries, 100 R&B entries. 20 of those were number one singles. But if you're focusing on the commercial aspect of, of Franklin's work, then you're really missing the boat. Her voice was a gift from God, but I must stress that it was more than a matter of technique. She was a whaler in the best sense of the word, but when she did it, man, there was, there was sweat, there was grit, and yes, there was sex. 
talented vocalists come and go, but they all possess this remarkable technique. Franklin was different because Franklin had personality. There was perspective and power and raucousness in her voice. That's what made her a rock artist and not strictly an R&B artist. Aretha, is it still fun? I mean, you know, people people who start doing something when they're, when they're very young, most, a lot of them reach a point in their life where they mm-hmm. say they're burnt out mm-hmm. or, or it's less attractive than it used to be or it's more of a business than it ever was. Mm-hmm. What about from your perspective? No, it's a love for me. It was my first love and it's a constant. It's always there. Does it change? No. It is fun, but more than fun, it's a love for me. And just as a little aside, I don't know if you caught it when she covered... Adele's Rolling in the Deep a few years ago on Letterman, but but it was miraculous. Listen to this. There are so many different directions that I could go in and talking about Aretha Franklin, but I think I just want to talk about my favorite song of hers, and this is it. Looking out on the morning rain, I used to feel so uninspired. Feel Like a Natural Woman was released in 1967, and this is uh, a, a remarkable recording written by the legendary songwriting duo of Carol King and Jerry Goffin and produced by legendary producer Jerry Wexler. Really, everyone involved in this song was super talented. King and Goffin had already written songs like Up on the Roof for the Drifters, I'm Into Something Good by Herman's Hermits, One Fine Day by the Chiffons. Wexler was a co-founder of Atlantic Records. As a producer, he'd already done uh, some work with the Drifters, Ray Charles, Dusty Springfield. And then you have Aretha, who was at the top of her game and who gave power to the lyrics and personality to the stellar production. The idea for this song came like this. And this is straight from Wexler's autobiography. He claims he'd been mauling over the concept of the natural man. In biblical text, the natural man is basically one that has not been born again. 
Therefore, he is living a sinful life, one that gives into desires, passions, appetites, about getting filthy. (laughs) With this in mind, he told King he wanted a song about a natural woman, or the natural woman, for Aretha Franklin's next album, which he was working on. Again, this is in 1967. The song was soon written, and Wexler actually got a co-writing credit. There's no part of the recording itself that's not perfect. The piano part was played by Spooner Oldham, who was part of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section that gave punch to songs like Mustang Sally and When a Man Loves a Woman. And take a listen to those backup singers. Aretha's sisters, older sister Irma and younger sister Carolyn. Everybody was a rock star on this uh, recording. The bass player played with Elvis. The drummer was the same guy who played drums on Sweet Caroline. And the guy who wrote all the string parts did the same thing for Georgia On My Mind by Ray Charles. His name was Ralph Burns. These are the best of the best. The very best that the music industry had to offer. And I think they just, they put it all together on this recording. Got to number eight on the Hot 100 and number two on the R&B charts. I have no idea what kept it out of the top spot, but whatever it is, can't hold a candle to this song. There's just no way. And again, just a small side, but I must I must mention her role in the Blues Brothers still makes me laugh to this day. Landis has John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. But who they really want is Aretha Franklin. The studio thought, well, don't you want people younger and hipper? <laughs> they weren't sure. I mean, but and also this is old music. They kept saying, you know, don't you want disco? How about Donna Summer? And shooting that was really interesting because Aretha Franklin, very much like James Brown and B.B. King, other performers I've worked with have difficulty lip syncing. And the reason they have difficulty lip syncing to playback is they never sing a song the same way twice. What that movie did for her was bring her to a new audience who really were not familiar with her music because they they were too young or they were, you know, at the disco. She's too good. What a career, what an artist. Aretha Franklin was 76 years old. All right, friends, you know that we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. 
at the end of each segment. I give you five more songs to add to our playlist. You can look it up anytime. It is on Spotify. Just search for Stream Police Playlist. This time around, I'm going to give you It's Okay by The Game. Dre, I see dead people. Modern vampires of the city, hunting blood, blood. Yo, Dre, thought I was dead. West Coast, I'm the doctor's advocate, homie Drake. Brought me back from the dead, that's why they call him the doctor. The mask gon' drop him, and 50 ain't rocking with him no more. It's okay, I get it. Hold- and actually, I'm gonna do another one by the game. This is called Shake. Shake. Listen. Shake. Yo, give me some fries and the extra large Bitch, hurry up, I'm late for this meeting, I gotta shake I'm in the McDonald's drive-thru, about to roll up the shake Got a piece so bad, a nigga doing the harm I was rolling my blunt and seen my side mirror Thought it was my speakers, then I seen this nigga body Man, I'm on probation, motherfucker, I'm about to we're gonna stick with hip-hop this is yogati and law don't fuck no bitch that fucking with your dog that law if you come up don't forget about your dog that law I'm a street nigga, so it's fuck the law. If you broke nigga, that should be against the law. Fuck no bitch that fucking with your dog, that law. If you come up, don't forget about your dog, that law. I'm a street nigga, so it's fuck the law. If you broke nigga, that should be against the law. I'm a real hustle, so don't knock it, that law. It's all about the re-up in the profit, that law. Can't be in the club without no ballers, that law. We gon' ball today, fuck tomorrow, that law. And then Childish Gambino, this is America. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping now. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. I gotta carry them. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. And finally, we'll change it up on this last song. It's Things Change by Dwight Yoakam. She said, baby, things change. I said, but I feel the same. She said, well, That's it. Thank you, friends. It's always fun. Behave for once and I'll 
talk to you next month. Peace. Thank you very much, Andy. He's sitting down in his basement drinking G&T, sitting in Dayton, Ohio. I'm sitting in my closet in Cincinnati, smoking my stogie, bringing you the Stream Police podcast. We are uh, thrilled to bring you this show every month. Thank you very much for listening. If you ever want to reach out to either of us, like Andy said, his email is sedlackjournal at gmail.com. You can reach me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. I always like answering listener email here on the show or uh you know if you if you want to ask me about a show that maybe you wonder if i've watched or um suggest something that you think i may enjoy movies or shows whatever send them along to me i'd love to uh, love to hear from you we, we like to know who's out there listening to the program makes us feel like uh you know we're a little less alone but hey you know i'll probably sit in here even if the listener count goes down to one and it's just beth listening to these shows i'll still come into my closet i think and uh, and, and bring you this program all right so a few episodes ago uh, on the stream police you can go back and find it there um, i talked about two woman comedians who i thought that you really needed to take a closer look at it was ali wong and michelle wolf whose specials baby cobra and nice lady uh, Baby Cobra was on Netflix. Nice Lady was on HBO. Those specials absolutely killed me. And I was just talking about how these two were like kind of really rising stars in comedy. And those were two of the best specials that I've watched in years from any comic. So you can find that a couple episodes back. It's 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 pretty easy to find in, in the episode I'm talking about because I think the episode has Ali Wong and Michelle Wolf listed in it. Anyway... I recently sat down with a Netflix special from another woman comedian that absolutely knocked me on my ass. Not because it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen, but because it was just so heartfelt and real and hard-hitting, which is not something that I think I would usually use to describe. Those are not words I'd usually use to describe stand-up comedy specials, right? I mean, outside of people like Bill Hicks, Hicks was always kind of known for really putting society in its place. Carlin did this a lot too, but you know, Carlin was kind of a, even a little bit more silly than uh, Bill Hicks was, you know, Carlin always had like a twinkle in his eye. I felt like when he did it, um, but you know, just kind of putting society in its place. Like Lenny Bruce was really famous for doing that as well. Almost like, you know, where you turn stand up comedy into modern day philosophy. Like that's what this really was. I haven't seen too many comics who are able to really do that, but I got to say, Hannah Gadsby, in her new special on Netflix, Nanette, it's called Nanette. But anyway, Hannah Gadsby is this comic from Australia. So she's been working for decades as a comic in in Australia. She's pretty famous there, uh, but I really hadn't heard of her, and I don't think a lot of Americans had heard of her because she you know she doesn't she hasn't really done movies like she hasn't come to America and done a whole lot. I don't know if she's really toured around here very much. It hasn't done like an HBO special or anything like that as a lot of international people do once they kind of really get hot in their own country. She's just kind of stayed in Australia. She's very respected there um, as a comic and. She's obviously like kind of a big poster child there, I believe, for LGBTQ rights. She's a lesbian herself. so um, And it's something that obviously has come up in her comedy before. But it's something that has kind of gnawed at it. You remember years ago when Chappelle's show was on and Dave Chappelle 
famously walked away from this massive multi-million dollar contract that Comedy Central was offering him to do a third season of his show. He he told him to shove it up their ass and he went away and he went to Africa and stayed there for a little while and kind of cleared his head. And he's talked about it a lot since then, since he's kind of gotten back into comedy. But he was just saying, you know, basically how people misunderstood the show. People were using his own jokes against him, his jokes about race, his jokes that included the N-word in them. White people were, like, repeating those jokes to him, and it made him feel really sick, and it made him feel like he wanted to get out of his own skin. So, and it made him wonder if his comedy had kind of had the reverse effect of what he thought it was going to have. Like, he thought it would kind of bridge gaps, but he wondered if it was pushing people, you know, kind of further apart and giving ammunition to racists, essentially. Well, Hannah Gadsby struggles that with that same thing in talking about, you know, lesbian rights, gay and lesbian rights, and um, in talking about the politics that goes along with that and human rights in general, because she has talked a lot in her comedy, I guess, about specifically being a lesbian. And so a lot of people consider her a quote-unquote lesbian comic, which is so reductive. You know, it's like saying so, – it's like being like Eddie Murphy's a black comic um, because he's not. You know what I mean? I mean, he's a comic who happens to be be black, but he's just a guy who is funnier than shit. And it doesn't matter if you're white, black, Indian, whatever. You watch, an Eddie, you watch Eddie Murphy Raw, you're going to be – you're going to be dying. I mean, you're going to be wiping tears out of your eyes. I don't care what race you are. It probably helps to be American because a lot of the things he talks about are, you know, about American society. But, you know, I I don't care who you are. You're going to think that it's funny. So to call someone a lesbian comic or a gay comic or whatever, like that, that's so reductive and it kind of limits their work to, well, all you can do is talk about being a lesbian. We don't want to hear you talk about anything else. And she talks about that in this special. I got to tell you, man, Nanette is one of the most unique pieces of entertainment I've ever watched. Not just a comedy special, but anything. Movies, TV. It was so, it was such a tour de force. And I don't want to give too much away. But if you've read about it online at all, this special got a lot of buzz when it came out. Some of it was critical. Some people criticized it. Because it almost doesn't, it borders on not comedy at points. Like, it's almost more like a one-woman show than it is a stand-up special. But I would argue that every stand-up special is a one-man or one-woman show. That's the point. of That's that's what it is. It's one person standing up there with a mic, a, a fucking stool, and a bottle of water. And they're talking for an hour. That's If that's not a one-man show, one-woman show, they write the whole thing, too, normally. Um, then I don't really know what is. Um, and I now granted, you know, stand up specials don't normally have like a story or an arc, but Nanette really does. It has like this arc and it just sneaks up on you and it is a slow, slow burn. It's got a lot of laughs in it. But, yeah, some people have have said that it's not stand up comedy, but it's stand up tragedy. And that's because, like I said, Hannah Gadsby is wrestling with some serious inner turmoil about her place as an entertainer, about what entertainers do, about what she does, what she said in the past. And she's really like bringing it out. It's like therapy on stage with you watching. And it's so well written, so well rehearsed, powerful. There are moments where she has tears in her eyes. I'm telling you, and this is a comedy special. So it's on Netflix right now. It's called Nanette. It's from Hannah Gadsby. And it put me on my ass. I'm telling you, I thought that I was going to get one thing from this. And I didn't read much about it before I watched it. I just had kind of read that it was really good and it was something worth watching. So I, I encourage you not to read too much about it. And that's why I'm being kind of vague and why this special is so special, pun intended there. Um, 
but I don't want to tell you why because it snuck up on me and I think that has the better effect if you watch it and you don't really realize what you're getting into yet. But I'm just going to say that it's powerful. It's intense. I've never had a stand-up special kind of make me shake while I watched it. Um, in addition to making me laugh really hard, but it's just, she's got some really powerful stuff to say. And I watched the whole thing through the credits. I sat and watched the credits because I was like so stunned. I couldn't turn it off. So it was just, it's a really powerful and, and unique piece of entertainment. I think it's going to stand on its own for a long time as far as something that will probably, somebody may try to replicate it in the future, but I don't know that they're going to be able to duplicate it. So, and I don't know where Hannah Gadsby goes from here, honestly, if she goes anywhere, uh, because she's talked about retiring now. So I don't know, but Nanette is a tour de force. If you could ever use that word to describe a stand-up special, this would be it. You might not end up thinking that it's the funniest special you've ever seen, but I'm telling you, if you um, are somebody who you know, enjoys kind of someone who who's taking account of their own life and who's really thinking hard about their place in the world, you got to give this thing a shot because it's, it's so powerful and so intense and I, it's so brave. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's a, such a brave and vulnerable piece of entertainment and it's available right now on Netflix. It's one of the absolute best things I've ever seen that Netflix has produced themselves. As far as Netflix originals go, Nanette is right up at the top of the list for me with the absolute best things that company has ever put together. So shout out to them. Shout out to Hannah Gadsby and um, give it a watch, man. It's not a Friday night fun watch. You know, don't get your pals together and it's probably best watched on your own, maybe with your spouse or something like that. But check it out. I don't, I don't think you regret it. And I want to know what you think about it. If you end up uh, sitting down with Nanette, which like I said, right now is on Netflix for you to stream. I do think I have to quit comedy though. I, I have built a career out of self-deprecating humor and I simply will not do that anymore. Not to myself or anybody who identifies with me. Do you understand what self-deprecation means? It's not humility. It's humiliation. All right, another thing that you can stream uh, right this minute that I really recommend you spending some time with, and, and like I said, Nanette's not really a, a fun, fun watch. You know, it will make you really think seriously about things. Here's one that'll kind of, it's a little bit more fun to flip on and, and just get lost in. The Bobby Brown story just recently aired on BET. It's a two-part made-for-TV movie. I think it's in total five hours long with commercials. So, you know, I mean, about four hours or so, a little more than three hours if you take out the ads. I've been streaming it on BET, and I'm only through the first part. I'm not through the second part yet. So unless the second part completely sucks, which I can't imagine it doing, I'm going to recommend this fully because this has been such a fun watch. And it follows, just like the title says, the life of Bobby Brown. And really it's about his life after New Edition because BET a few years ago did the New Edition story which was written by the same guy who did the Bobby Brown story. And it ended up being the highest rated thing that BET has ever produced. You know, I mean, BET has been around for a long time, like 30 years. And this was the highest rated show that they had ever aired. So clearly they were like, how do we capitalize on this? And so they ended up taking who's the most salacious member of new edition, Bobby Brown. And let's do his life story in a made for TV format and, and give it, give the people what they want. So, I saw the ads for it, and the ad campaign they rolled out was so good. It was this, this like just energetic, um, intense, just loaded with images of 
of just dirty things, man. And and the ads kept saying sex, drugs, R&B. Sex, drugs, R&B. And it would show, you know, Bobby Brown having sex with somebody. It would show him, you know, snorting coke off a table. And then it would show him performing. And then it would show him having sex with somebody else. Then it would show him doing some more coke. Then it would show him doing another song. And it was just sex, drugs, R&B. And I thought it was such a great ad. I was like, I got to watch this. I don't care. I, I've got to flip this on. So, and it just rolled out on uh, on BET this month, so it's it's brand new for them. The whole thing, like I said, is done. It's a movie. It's not a it's not a show. It's in two parts, so you can maybe consider it a miniseries, but I would call it a, a movie all the way. This thing could have been in theaters. I was really impressed by the production values because you know I I think you typically think of made for TV movies as like you think of the Hallmark Channel stuff that's really kind of cheesy, but some of this stuff has really come a long way, and this one. Reminded me a lot of the movie Straight Outta Compton, as far as the look of it, as far as the story it tells, the the real, you know, the music that they get and the, the sets and, you know, that early 90s costumes and just, it's really cool. It, and it's fun if you're a music nerd and if you like R&B and if you like, like hip-hop to see some of these people that you see in it. You see Janet Jackson and you see... Um, L.A. Reed, and you see Babyface, and obviously, you know, you see some of the new edition guys, and you see Whitney Houston, and it's just cool to see some of these people, um, and to hear them mentioned, and to hear the songs, because Bobby Brown had so many great songs there, especially from his Don't Be Cruel album, and this movie really kind of goes into the making of Don't Be Cruel, and it gets into, you know, the tour that came afterward, and him getting arrested for obscenity charges, and it's it's just kind of got it all, and it's it's high energy, it, uh, I will say one of the things that I'm complaining about with it is that I think it skips too much time too quickly because, you know, in this course of five hours, you got to tell this guy's life story. And Bobby Brown's not one of those guys who died, you know, when he was 20. So he's still alive. His story is still going on. And he's had a lot of tragic things happen to him in the last few years. So there's a lot they have to cover in such a small period of time while not just getting to the tragedies, but talking about the great parts of his career as well. So there's a lot to cover. They may have try to do it in too small of a package, but man, it, it just never relents. And I really, I like the performances in it. I love the music in it. I love the way it looks. The costumes are flawless. The sets look good. Um, it's just great. I really like it. I, I think uh, the Bobby Brown story hopefully will be up for some Emmys when the Emmys roll out next year and we'll see if it, you know, wins anything. It probably won't because HBO always wins for the made for TV movie stuff, but to see it be nominated would be great because I think it deserves it. This it's got some really good stuff, and it's um, I know at least with black viewers, it's been very popular. It's got a lot of buzz on Twitter and on black Twitter especially. Uh, but I mean, I don't care who you are, you you should give this a watch because it's just a really interesting music biopic, and it's a it's a great example of the made for TV. And it's hardcore, man. They curse quite a bit in it, so you don't feel like you're watching a made for TV movie. You feel like you're watching. You know, a movie. It, it felt like a real movie. So I would tell you, you know, I've watched a lot of stuff. I'd tell you if it thought it looked like shit or something, but it doesn't look cheesy. It's uh, it's it's just really cool, man. It's just a fun thing to kind of watch for five hours and spend your time with. So if you're looking for something to check out now, and you can flip it on in the background and even watch it. It's not too, you know, you don't have to focus on it too much, but it is pretty intense in parts. Um, but the Bobby Brown story is right now streaming on BET's app. And it's also streaming on, you know, if you have cable or whatever. But if you see it airing and you have a DVR, set your DVR to record it because you're, you're going to want to watch this. It's a, it's it's really cool. Hopefully it'll be streaming somewhere else after this. But 
Anyway, the Bobby Brown story, I'll give it my full recommendation for you on BET right now. They did great work with this. This one's dedicated to my angel. I bet you're wondering who that is. Okay, Bobby. What's wrong? Where'd that come from? Oh, I got this crush on this girl. You know, I recently seen it and I think it really might be happening. All right, so I like to wrap up each episode of The Stream Police by giving you a couple things to watch on Netflix and on Amazon, obviously in addition to some of the things I've already told you about, like Nanette on Netflix, which you got to watch. Um, I want to give you some movies to watch because I talk too much about TV shows on this program and not enough about movies, I think, sometimes. So... On Netflix, I'm going to give you something funny to watch and something serious to watch. And on Amazon, I'm going to do the exact same thing. So on Netflix, first off, something funny. If you're looking for something light to watch, on September 16th, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is coming to Netflix. And this is a beautiful movie. It's one of those that you know I had to buy on Blu-ray because you just want to see every frame is just popping with like visuals, with crazy colors, with... Um, amazing movie magic throughout this thing. So Scott Pilgrim versus the world. If you've never seen it, it's um, it's based on some comic books, I believe. And it's this really quirky story and it's influenced a lot by video games. So if you like video games at all, you definitely should give Scott Pilgrim a watch because you'll appreciate some of the Easter eggs and some of the nods to some great video games that they play. But it's got a really good cast led by Michael Sarah. Um, Jason Schwartzman is in it as well. And some, you know, some other really good actors, Mae Whitman is in it. And it's just such a unique movie. It's one of the most unique movies that I've seen come out in years, especially out of Hollywood. And it wasn't an indie, it was a studio film and it's big budget and it's gorgeous. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. One of the, um, best visual movies that I've seen. Uh, in years. I, I was blown away by it when I saw it in theaters. So it's this really weird story, though. So it's about this guy, Scott Pilgrim, who, in order to be with this girl that he's fallen in love with, he has to do battle with these, you know, like seven or six or seven, I can't remember how many it is, bosses, quote unquote, who are actually the exes of the girl that he loves. So he's got to battle the her exes in order to get to her. So it's it's really, like I said, it's like a video game, but it's a movie. It's really cool. Perfect vehicle for Michael Sarah. And um, just visually, it's it's a feast for the eyes. So Scott Pilgrim vs. the World will hit Netflix on September 16th. I couldn't recommend it more. And on September 17th, The Witch is coming to Netflix. If you're into something serious, we're getting into Halloween time. And like I've told you before, The Witch is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I've recommended it before many times. If you like stuff that will creep you out, but is also kind of highbrow, and it's a horror movie that you don't have to feel embarrassed watching, if you're a serious movie snob, The Witch is is perfect for that. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of set in the early days of, like, Pilgrim America, you know, during the witch trials kind of times. So it's a period piece. It looks very dingy, very gray. It's got some really good performances in it by some actors who are in Game of Thrones, um, some British actors, and it's just a creepy really creepy movie. So couldn't recommend The Witch more. That's coming to Netflix on September 17th. Meanwhile, on Amazon Prime, if you want something funny, give Sleepless in Seattle a watch. The uh, classic romantic comedy from Nora Ephron starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. It's uh, such a funny little movie. It's not like a sappy schmooze fest because, you know, obviously, um, well, I don't know if if you've never seen it. It's not obvious, but the, the two characters, 
kind of spend the entire movie trying to get together. They don't get together until the very, very end of the thing. So it's uh, one of those movies that I think if you're not into romantic movies, you, you'll still like it because how can you not like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan? At that point, they may have been the two most likable movie actors in the entire world. So this was the early 90s, and it's just a really cool uh, romantic movie. Definitely one of my favorite romantic movies. It's Sleepless in Seattle, and it's streaming on Amazon right now. And also, if you're looking for something serious on Amazon, give a watch to There Will Be Blood from 2007, one of the most powerhouse movies in recent years, one of the all-time instant classics of recent uh, cinema. It is, like I said, you want something serious? It's about as serious as it gets. It's not a laugh riot. It's not a fun one to flip on and 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 quote with your friends. It's Daniel Day-Lewis maybe at his most intense ever as this oil prospector who kind of just wants to own everything and everyone and man it's an intense intense movie gorgeous visually and um just powerhouse powerhouse is the best way to describe there will be blood if you never watched it give it a watch it's three hours of your life that you will not regret having spent with mr daniel day lewis he's in like almost every frame too and paul dano paul dano does the best work of his entire career in that movie and that's saying something because he's a great actor so give it a watch there will be blood on Amazon Prime right now. All right, that's going to do it for this month's edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you very much for spending some time with me and with my friend Andy Sedlak here on the show. If you want to reach out to me, I'm at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Andy is at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. Next month, I'll be giving you five more shows that are premiering in October that you need to check out this fall. And I'll also be uh, talking again about horror Uh, because, you know, it's that time of year once again, my friends. So we'll check you out then. Once again, I'm Clint Davis. Thanks again to my friend Andy Setlack, and thank you very much for tuning in, my friend. Talk to you next time. Until then, stream on. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.